Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager. On February 13th, 2020, No More Deaths hosted a benefit entitled An Evening with Luis Alberto Urea at El Casino Ballroom. Urea is an acclaimed author of 18 best-selling books. Born in Tijuana, Mexico to a Mexican father and an American mother, Urea uses his dual culture life experiences to explore greater themes of love, loss, and triumph. He once lived in Tucson for a time where he connected with his literary heroes, began The Hummingbird's Daughter, and met his wife, Cindy. He continues to be a frequent visitor to Tucson and has presented at each of the Tucson Festival of Books since its inception. No More Deaths is an advocacy group based in Tucson and Phoenix that seeks to end the deaths of undocumented immigrants crossing the desert regions near the United States-Mexico border. Reverend John Fife was the moderator. He served as pastor of Southside Presbyterian Church in Tucson for 35 years. He was co-founder of the Sanctuary Movement in the 80s and is a founding volunteer with Samaritans and No More Deaths. No mas muertes. Here is Reverend Fife introducing Luis Alberto Urea. So I've been asked to introduce Luis. And I told him last night that I would need about 25 minutes to do it properly. (laughs) But he said, take your time. (laughs) Let's face it, folks. Folks are here tonight for very different reasons in this El Casino Ballroom. Some folks are here because Luis is an acclaimed author. Because you have read one or two or three or all 18 of his best-selling books, fiction and non-fiction and poetry. Or because you know about the prestigious awards Luis has received. A Pulitzer Prize finalist, the Latino Literature Hall of Fame, It takes actually three long paragraphs on his website to list all those awards and honors. We're not going to do that tonight. (laughs) Just to say currently he is the Distinguished Professor of Creative Writing at the University of Illinois. Did you write that distinguished thing? (laughs) Some of you folks are here this evening because Luis Urea is a legendary storyteller. They have frequented the Festival of Books here in Tucson and know why he is known around Tucson as the czar of the book festival (laughs) and why he received the 2019 Founders Award recognizing his sold-out storytelling and exceptional literary achievements. Luis admits I was deeply infected with storytelling from the get-go, and I truly love it, and we love hearing it, Luis. And some folks are here tonight because it's another great way to support the work and mission of No More Deaths. Luis Luis Urea is one of those folks who thinks it's a great way to support the work and mission of No More Deaths. He volunteered a year ago to do a similar event for us, and so 
a couple of us conspired to get him back this year. And he told us at the Festival of Books, he would volunteer to help No More Deaths any and every time we ask, unquote. <laughs> and that makes him the latest No More Deaths longtime volunteer. <laughs> no More Deaths, of course, screens and vets are volunteers. We just don't send anybody out there. Luis offered his qualifications, quote, I spent years in a Tijuana dump as a translator for a missionary group. We took the poor who lived on the dump, food and water and medicine. We even built homes, whatever was needed, unquote. And so I think that clearly qualifies Luis as our newest volunteer with no more deaths. So join me now in welcoming back to the borderlands where he belongs, that literary badass, that borderland migrant, and that deeply infected storyteller, Luis Alberto Urea. Buenas tardes, Tucson. <laughs> Tijuana back in the house. When the idea came up to come back and try to raise funds again, uh, I jumped on it, and uh, you know the people in this organization are the stars and the heroes of all this, and uh, we're lucky to have them and to be here with them, especially in the era in which we find ourselves. So every time I, I come to do stuff, um, and I talk to the pastor, I say, "So, Jot." Should I read some poems or tell a story? He's like, I like those stories, man. People want to laugh. And I always feel a little somber that I think maybe it's wrong to laugh. But I think on the other hand, maybe it's the right thing to do. So, uh, but I, th I, I thought particularly this one story, which is applicable to the work done here. I thought about it a lot. And I wanted to tell you just a, a moment of, of witness. I did a podcast today down at U of A with a national bilingual podcast show. Um, and they asked me about this story. And they, they asked me, when did you cross over from wanting to be a famous author to wanting to bear witness? You know, I, 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 was, I was not a poverty-stricken child, but we lived right on the edge of poverty. I come from a dirt street in Tijuana, Rampa Independencia. Spoke Spanish before I spoke English. Was dying of tuberculosis. I was the kind of baby, I'm sure, that some of our volunteers here have worked with. My mom was American, my dad was Mexican. And because I was dying of tuberculosis, they left Tijuana and came to San Diego. And uh, we lived in Barrio Logan. If you're a Chicano poetry fan, you'll know that Juan Felipe Herrera, our first Chicano, poet laureate of the United States came from the same barrio, but we were at opposite ends of the of National Avenue. And I, I was taken with story. And there were a couple of shocking moments in my life I wanted to share with you, which might explain why I want to do what I do. And one of them was Tijuana Barrio Logan, which I called Diet Mexico, because it was all Mexicanos, you know. Um, and we spoke Spanish, and I had a really strong Tijuana accent. Everything was cool. Everyone I loved 
everyone I reviewed except for my mom was Mexican. Everyone. And then we left at the end of fourth grade and moved to a white suburb in farther north in San Diego. My mom was happy. My dad immediately, I watched him go from Don Alberto, Señor Importante, to Al, Al, the custodian, cleaning bathrooms. And I watched his spirit. My father was the proudest man I've ever known in my life. Watched him crack. And the other thing I learned when we got there was that Mexicans were dirty. I thought, what? Mexicans are what? Mexicans are dirty, man. And I had found the Boy Scouts. My dad didn't like that. He's like, get some Boy Scouts. And I said, Dad, it's cool. I go camping and things. And he says, he caught me at the end of a camp out. And he said, mijo, you're wearing shorts. <laughs> is this my uniform, Dad? And he said, si quieres ser un hombre, join the army. And I was like, I'm in fifth grade, Dad. <laughs> but I learned all these things I did not know. And my Boy Scout friends, my new white boys, we were in the bathroom, fifth grade, all of us in there. And one of them says to me, and they, they couldn't say urea, they didn't know what it was. So they call me urine, urethra, diarrhea. <laughs> you know, and I thought, hey, that's, you know, it's guys giving each other a hard time. And he said something like, hey, diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. You know what you are, man? I said, no, what am I? So you're a greaser wetback, man. And all of my friends started laughing and pointing at me. Greaser, wetback, greaser, wetback. And they walked out of the bathroom. And I remember, because you believe things people tell you sometimes, I looked for the grease. I thought, oh, my God, we're wet with grease, and we can't see it. Only they can see it. That was the first shock. The next cataclysmic shock was my father dying in San Luis Rio Colorado in the hands of Mexican police, hard. And uh, it casts my mom and me into utter chaos and true poverty. And the final shock was going to Tijuana with this missionary crew and realizing that people really, really, really suffered. I thought I had suffered. And the moment that made me want to do this and I think everyone here who's, who volunteers has had a moment like this. We were in a place south of Tecate, uh, in a place called La Ladriera. And La Ladriera was a brickyard. And there was an, a medical emergency that we went to help. They called us on the radios, and off we went to help this child. But there was a man. I was writing in my journal. And there was a man walking by, a worker there. And he saw me, and he came over. He said, oye, ¿qué estás haciendo? I said, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm writing in my journal. Ah, see? Great. What's a journal? I said, oh, you know, it's, it's like a diary. Oh, right. What's a diary? And they said, well, look, it's a blank book. And I write in it. They said, what are you writing about? I said, I write about what's going on in my day, what I see, the people. In, and he said, wait, wait, wait. You're writing about the people here in Madrid? I said, yeah. Really? You writing about me? And I said, probably, yeah, I'll probably write about you. Then he looked at me, and this was the transformative moment. This was my Damascus Road, because I wanted to be 
Stephen King. I wanted to be Robert Plant in Led Zeppelin. I wanted to be rich and famous more than anything because I didn't have anything. And he said, you know what? Good. Good, he said. Write about me in your book. Because I was born in the garbage dump. I live here in the mud, digging mud to make bricks. And when I die, they're going to put me back in the garbage dump. He said, you tell them I was here. And so I feel inferior to people who are out actually giving life to suffering lost travelers. But I'm still telling people who's here. And it's gotten rougher out there. They don't want you to tell it, you know, but you gotta keep telling. So that was the that was the moment. Now the story I want to tell you is inspired by something that happened in my family. And I'll try to make it a little up to date to reflect the era. But um, I have I have some nephews who thought they were Americans. They thought they were American citizens. They thought they were Chicanos, born in San Diego. They didn't know that they'd been carried across the line. And they'd grown up thinking that they were US citizens, and they were. And one of my nephews got in some trouble with his uh, gang-related activity. And uh, when he got arrested, he was deported, and he was sent to Mexicali, and then to Tijuana. And this was a kid who hadn't learned Spanish. He was Americanized. He had all this trouble, all this hell. And um, I don't know if there's any Border Patrol agents here. You'll appreciate this. but. Uh, they, the family paid a coyote a lot of money to take him to northern Washington state because his girlfriend was a migrant picker. And he wanted to join her. So he went to Bellingham, Washington. And you know what his first job was? Gardener for the Border Patrol Station. <laughs> you can't make it up, man. La Migra saved a little money. You are listening to remarks made by Luis Alberto Urea in a benefit for No More Deaths, recorded at El Casino Ballroom by 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. So that story made me think about this, and it's, it's, it's in my book of stories called the, the Water Museum, but it's called the Southside Raza Image Federation Corps of Discovery. And... Uh, <laughs> And I'm, I'm cutting parts out because we'll run out of time. But just so you know, that, that, that name kind of comes from the old lowrider culture where they would have placas, you know, they'd make a plaque in the back of the car and they'd have the name of your car club. So the dad in this story was part of the Southside Raza Image Federation, very proud veteranos who wanted people to see the Chicanos, Mexicanos were cool and had cool cars. And this is about the boys in the family. And this is how it goes, more or less. And I will watch the clock. So this was New Year's Day. So this was Southern California. Junior Garcia lay in bed listening to the pigeons rattle the fronds of the palm tree outside. It was hot. It was sunny. He put his pillow over his head. He was trying to blank out the sounds of the little kids on the big wheels going up and down the sidewalks. He couldn't sleep. He sat up in bed. He was in his boxers. He looked at himself in the mirror. He tried to make a muscle. He was really skinny, but his dad had made him a set of barbells by putting cement in two coffee cans and putting a pipe between them. 
and he got up and he curled a few times to see if he could get any guns. And he said to himself, more like Derringers. There came a knock on the door. He waited and listened. He didn't want to go to the door. Came another knock. He said, okay, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. He got out of his bedroom and found in the living room a whole bunch of vatos passed out all over the floor. There were empty 40s, an empty tequila bottle. The TV was still showing reruns of a football game. He walked through the room, skirted around the worst of the bad boys. He did their homework for them, so they tolerated him, but they were idiots, all of them. And his brother, whom he really hated, and his brother's best friend, Chango, the worst guy in the barrio, were passed out on the floor. And he gave them an obscene gesture as he walked by. He went toward the front door, and Chango, who never opened his eyes, said, I seen that. <laughs> he hurried to the door, and he opened it. And there, standing on the front porch, was Shadow. Shadow, the craziest vato in the whole neighborhood. All jittery energy, sunglasses, stand-up hair. He was on the front porch and he said, hey, what's, what's up, man? And Junior said, pues aquí nomás, what's up with you? I, I don't know, what's up with you? Nothing, man, what's up with you? I don't know, what's up with you? Nothing, man, what's up with you? cigarette, his hand was jittery. He said, I don't know, man. Uh, I was thinking about something. Junior said, yeah, what? He said, I was thinking, I was thinking I'm going to give you a book, man. He had never gotten a present from the bigger boys. Junior said, what did you do? What did you get me? Shadow reached in his back pocket and pulled out a thin little Pepto-Bismol paperback. He said, is this guy, man, is trout fishing in America? You ever heard of this thing? He said, yeah, I read it. Well, I stole it from the library, man. Oh, thank you. That was really sweet, man. Was, you know, it's because, uh, you know, you helped me with my homework. And I need some help now. He says, why? Because of this Louie and Clark thing, man. He said, what about them? What did they do? He said, no, pues, Louie and Clark. They got in a canoe, and they say they paddled all over the country, and then they wrote to the president and, and told him, you know, what they seen. And Shadow said, they were right into Trump? <laughs> said, no, man. No, no seas pendejo, man. It was, it was a long time ago. It was like the ancient president. He said, Obama? <laughs> he said, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, help, I'll, write your, I'll help write your paper for you. Oh, cool, homie. Listen, I got an idea. I wanted to run by you, Junior. Junior said, what's that? He said, I want to go to the beach, man. He said, you invited me to the beach? He said, yeah, dude. I'm going to invite you to the beach. And I got the little mousy back there and her cousin. They're sitting in the car waiting, man. Let's go get it like a double date. And he says, Junior said, ah, I'm going to go get my trunks. I'm going to get my flip-flops. He said, yeah, go for it, man. So he hurried back in the house, and then Shadow cracked himself up. He said, see if you can find a blow-up dragon, too. <laughs> they got in the car. It was Shadow's mother's station wagon. He borrowed it. And they started driving. They had the radio set like true homies on an oldie station. 
the girls were in the back, the Sotomayor sisters. <laughs> they had their hair all ratted up, and they had Lisa raccoon eye makeup, and they were back there smoking and popping gum. La little mousy, la little mini. <laughs> Junior was really excited by these two, and he looked back over the seat at them, little mousy, said, what you looking at, boy? Turn back around. He turned around, he was blushing and smiling, and Shadow said, you like that, don't you? He said, yeah. He says, uh, are you in love? And he said, yeah. <laughs> Shadow honked the horn, rolled down the window. Homie's in love! He kept driving. He says, how are you feeling, homie? He says, I don't know, man, I'm in love with the world. Shadow went crazy, he's in love with the world! They drove to the Strand, the Silver Strand Beach. The Strand was separated from the mainland by a tunnel that went under a highway. There was a big black top parking lot. They parked the car. La Mini immediately put her arm through shadows and off they went. And La Little Mousy stood there smoking and said, what's she looking at? I don't know, I don't know. Why don't you walk me, man, be a gentleman. Oh yeah, okay. So he put out his arm and he's walking her across the sandy parking lot to the cement tunnel. And as they were passing through, the four of them, their sandals were making echoes in the cement. And at the far end, two men with cowboy hats and cowboy boots appeared. And the Chicanos were tense. They're like, oh man, it's Southerners, man. It's Sureños coming into our territory. And so the two Mexicanos came forward. The Chicanos got over by the wall. They were eyeing each other. And one of the Mexicans said, what you looking at? Shadow turned to him and said, oh yeah? Oh yeah? Sureño coming into Norteño territory? And you're going to ask me what I'm looking at? I don't know what I'm looking at. How do you like that? He flicked his cigarette at him. Next thing Junior knew, there was a massive fist fight going on. The girls back to the wall and in fake terror were screaming, ay, ay. <laughs> the two Mexicans were beating up Shadow and he kept yelling at Junior, 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 kick this dude in the head. Kick him, kick him, kick him. So Junior walked up to him pulled back his foot, closed his eyes, and kicked him as hard as he could. Well, they had to escape the beach after that, so they were driving back in the car, all hopped up, except for Junior, who was nauseous. He'd never hit anybody in his life, and he was slumped over in his seat. And the two Sotomayor sisters were like, ay, pobrecito, ay, mi angel, oh, you're such a hero. Oh, you protected us so good. <laughs> Chad said, don't puke in my mom's car, man. Do not puke in my mom's car. He dropped him off, drove away honking. Junior got inside and did some homework for everybody. <laughs> His brother and Chango caught him, stuck him under the sink in the cabinet, put a broom handle through the, the two pull handles of the sink cabinet and left him locked inside. He sat in there for a couple of hours until he heard the broom come out of the handles and the thing popped open it was shadow what you doing you resting or what he said no man shadow said come on man i got something to show you he was really hopped up he was really nervous it was the next day 
they went out on the porch. They said, come outside, come outside. I gotta show you something, come on. Come outside, come outside. Junior came outside and there was his mom's station wagon, but there was a canoe tied on the roof. And Junior said, what's, what's that, Shadow? He says, it's a canoe, man. It's a canoe, can you believe it? Last night I couldn't sleep. I got all jacked up over the fight. And I went driving around. I went up on Otay Mesa. There's a Boy Scout camp up there, man. And they were all asleep. I was creeping around. There's a canoe. I freaking stole it. I brought it to you, man. He said, why did you bring it to me? Louis and Clark. It was like an honor. So Junior said, well, what, what do you want to do with it? Let's just go take a canoe ride home. Now, they lived in a neighborhood above some tidal sloughs. They came in from the Pacific, flooded a valley. Out in the middle of the valley, there was a slaughterhouse. And they would rinse out and squeegee out the blood and the offal into the water. The mud was black with little broken white glitter of clamshells and weird pale shrimps that ran along the bottom. The two boys hoisted the canoe on their shoulders. They could not believe a hollow boat like that weighed a thousand pounds. A shadow was tall, Junior was short, so they looked a little bit like a turtle humped as they made their way down trying to carry the paddles and take the canoe down to the water. They got down to the shore, which was a dirt parking lot with a rattling chain fence and one dead Dodge truck that Chango had sprayed his name all over. Chango, Chango. And the boys flipped the canoe over and dropped it in what they thought was water. It splatted. They climbed in and it just sat there. And they stood looking like a statue of two idiots waiting for something to happen. And they realized it was just stuck in the black mud. So they had to climb out and painfully pull it back out of the mud with a terrible sucking sound and move a little bit farther around till they found a clear spot in the weeds and the grass, water, and they dropped it in. And first, Shadow got in, balancing himself so he wouldn't fall over. Oh, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And he sat down carefully and said, okay, you get in, get in home, get in home. And so Junior got in behind him. And they said, what do we do? He said, I don't know, man, let's just paddle, see what happened. So they began paddling very carefully, trying not to flip this canoe over, and they headed down a little channel. And the first thing they saw was an old washing machine covered in green scum. And a little farther, they saw a small island with an ancient pair of corduroy pants, stiff as cardboard and faded by the sun. Beautiful little jets of pollution came up out of the mud and made rainbows on the water as they paddled. Underneath the boat, these white shrimp were running around. As they went out to the main channel, they caught the stream of water pulling back to the sea. And they started paddling a little bit harder. All of a sudden, Shadow noticed they were being followed by a couple of sunfish. And he was like, dude, look, speeches, pescados. <laughs> they were looking over and he 
put his fingers in and the fish swam up to nibble his fingers. He pulled it out. He said, I tell you, check, check it out. Check it out, little homie. Check it out. Put his fingers in. The fish came. Put his fingers in. The fish came. He said, this is so cool, man. Nature. <laughs> they kept paddling and he said, little homie, when I die, I'm going to come back as a fish. For reals, man. Fish, that's the life. What are you going to come back as? Junior said, when I die, I ain't coming back. Shadow said, that's deep, that's deep. They got to I-5, the low bridge. They had to bend over so their heads wouldn't hit it, and they passed under the freeway listening to the rumble of traffic going back and forth over their heads. There were huge rafts of spider webs, like sails or parachutes over them. They came out the other side, and they saw a blue heron standing on a rock. And Shadow screamed, Big freaking bird! <laughs> and the bird lifted its wings and in slow motion swam up into the sky and flew away. And they're like, dang, man, this is awesome. They went around a bend and they saw men hiding in the yellow wildflowers and reeds. The men stopped and watched them. They watched the men as they went by silently. They went under the railroad bridge and found themselves spit out into a big body of water. There were islands in the distance, the Coronado Islands. And Shadow said, dude, we made it to the ocean, man. That's like Hawaii over there, homie. Junior knew that. He fished here with his father. He said, no, but no, 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 it's not the Pacific Ocean, man. It's the cooling pond for the gas and electric company. It's, you know, the water comes out, it's hot. They got to put it someplace, it cools off here. As they paddled out into the middle of the lagoon, a sea turtle came up, blew water out of its nose and sank back down. The boys were transformed. They were having a sacred moment when the helicopter came. They came from the south. It had been patrolling the Tijuana border, and it came past them. They watched it go up the coast and then turn around and come back, and it began circling them, circling them. They're watching. Shadow got all revolutionary. He was like, get out of here. What? U.S. citizen, man, get out of here. A speaker crackled to life, loudspeaker on the helicopter. Canoe, go to the southern shore. Canoe, proceed to the southern shore. This is ice. You are commanded to proceed to the southern shore. And Shadow stood up in the canoe and he's like, U.S. citizen! U.S. citizen, you can't touch me, man. To hell with Trump. Nothing. I'm American. But they went to the shore because they weren't stupid. <laughs> By the time they got to the shore, white trucks had arrived. They were pulled out of the canoe, thrown violently to the ground. Men knelt on their backs. The whole time, Shadow was talking, talking bold. You're going to be so sorry, man. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to go to the AB 
AG, what is it? What do they call it? Junior said, ACLU, hombre. I'm going to the ACLU, and I'm going to sue you all. They were locked in the trucks. They were driven to a detention center. They were kept there overnight. Junior was let go in the morning because he had been born in National City. Shadow never came out. Junior went back home, and his family found out that Shadow's entire family had disappeared. Junior helped everybody do their Lewis and Clark homework. He got an A on his own work. He graduated, went on in his life, never heard about Shadow again, never heard about the family again. And he never once wondered what happened to that canoe. That's a story. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to remarks made by Luis Alberto Urea in a benefit for No More Deaths, recorded at El Casino Ballroom by 30 Minutes, 91.3 KXCI Tucson. This is part one. More about the author can be found at luisurea.com. More information about No More Deaths is available at nomoredeaths.org. Thank you for listening to 30 Minutes. I'm Amanda Schager. You can find this and all recent episodes on the 30 Minutes program page at kxci.org, where you can find our social media links and subscribe to the podcast.